This is a Brain Bites episode. Each week, we share two things we learned the past week and how you can implement them in your life. So, let's get into it. Welcome to episode 12 of the Brain Bites series, where Sam and I share with you one thing that we learned this week and about the brain, which is the main thing. Sam, I've got to ask you, my friend, what came across your desk this week? So, weird one. The brain wisdom of texting like a 12-year-old. Oh, Lord. Are we going down the childhood memory lane? All right. Here yeah, we go. A bit of nostalgia. <laughs> go back to the past. No, you know that moment when you get a text message or a WhatsApp message and it's just an essay and you think to yourself, I just cannot be bothered. There's no way I'm responding to that. I'll read and respond to it later. Well, like what's actually happening in that moment is there's this process of cognitive friction or limbic friction as we've talked about before where your brain's energy conservation program says that looks like a lot of work i'm going to skip that over and so what you do is you put it away to later and this becomes a bit of a problem when you're trying to text people and get a response back so there's this principle of energy conservationism in the brain that relates to texting i'm really i'm so glad now i have an excuse because everything oh, yeah. you just said i'm the worst reply Justifier. ever i've been yeah. told so many times like kieran you sent they sent me like Confirmed. a really nice message and then seven days later oh hey mate Sorry for the late reply. <laughs> and then I get back to it. And then I will do a batch of t- replies as well. Yeah. So I'm really glad there's an excuse now. I'm going to literally use that phrase. It's my brain's energy conservation at play. It is. And you can just turn around and say, listen, like the text you sent was just too long. It was too long <laughs> for me. I'm Give really me some sorry. Points. Give me some bullet points. Because I, I, we've covered this in the past before, but it's something that I was reflecting on this week in particular, that our, our brain kind of conveyances everything we see and then calculates how much effort, how much perceived effort it thinks it would take to engage with it, to process it. And you think about a longer the text is, a longer an email is or or, or, a WhatsApp thesis, the more effort the brain is calculating, the more energy it will have to expend to process it. And therefore, the less likely you're actually going to take that action. So it even comes down to the word level, um, as Dr. Moran Surf was talking about, Recently on a podcast, the length of your words, a brain sees big words and it thinks that's complicated, that's hard. I'm going to skip over that. Because our brain's prime objective is to conserve energy as we survive, these days, you're sending out those longer text messages, you're more likely to get ignored or left on read or answered three days later, which I know I do all the time. Guilty. Guilty. Guilty, guilty, guilty is charged. Guilty is charged. Guilty is charged. Absolutely. But it's such a good point. Like I remember when you do get like even an email, right, in, in a work setting, which yes. is so long. And like you almost feel like the the absolute emotional reflex is overwhelm. It's like the path of least resistance is to 100%. do nothing. So you'll leave it for a long period of time. And so it puts that idea of like how can you make it as easy as possible for somebody to actually get back to you. So I'm probably being a bit skippy, but how would you go about ah, using this? It, you hit the nail on the head. There's a great book about marketing and, and the websites that you produce and everything you put out in the world, especially these days digitally, called Don't Make Me Think. And then a similar rule applies when you know that the length of your text you're going to send, the length of your email or your WhatsApp message, the longer it is, the slower you are likely to get a reply because it takes so much effort for the other person's brain to process and they're going to see that and probably put it off. 
So really, really simple rule that I've been using because someone pointed out the other week, I sent long texts apparently. And that's why people don't get back to me. It's <laughs> dagger, to just write. Dagger. I know, it hurt. <laughs> I had a friend say, yeah, like I love talking to you, but uh, you send me these paragraphs of information and I just feel like I have to sit down and mark them as if I'm writing an English essay in year 12. And it's just too much for me. Fair enough, <laughs> fair enough. Which Noted. is where this rule comes in. Write like a 12-year-old would. If you're sending out an email or a text or a WhatsApp, you know, fewer words, like a question mark, make it really, really easy for the other person to read and react. So reduce the amount of cognitive load on their brain and you're more likely to get a quicker response. So what that might look like is I look at my emails now and I try to turn them into, you know, two to three lines max. Turns out people respond quicker. Who knew? Same thing with text messages or WhatsApps. Just trying to compress all your information into a much shorter format because you need to be appreciative that the person on the other side is going to be overloaded if you don't do so. All right, everyone now take note. Text messages, three words or less. Short, sharp. Short, three sharp. Words or less. <laughs> See what you got. Give it a crack. So basically, in a nutshell, we're looking at the idea of being mindful of cognitive load, right? If yep. it, we get, there's too much information right in front of us, we will literally become overwhelmed. The path of least resistance is to do nothing. So as you said, write like a 12-year-old would. You know, fewer questions, fewer words, one or two questions, if that, make it easy for the other person and you're more likely to get a reply and then move things forward. Absolutely. I mean, hit the hit the nail on the head with that. And it just makes sense too. You know, when someone sends you two questions or like, you know, a couple of words, you respond quickly. If they send you a paragraph, you send on it for three days. And that's what I've learned this week. More importantly to me, what have you learned or discovered this week? Yeah. So experiential time, story time with Kieran, but I literally- Story time week. with Kieran. Okay. So literally I went out um, with a person that I haven't seen for a, a while, an old friend. And I remember so distinctly during, you know, we have a social interaction with someone, right? And you say something mm. that you know is so bloody stupid. <laughs> and Every day. You, and you sit there and then you see a person's response and all that sort of jazz. And then literally what happens for three days after you constantly ruminate on that one thing that you said that you, and you ignore literally like what has been an amazing catch up. You've had so much fun, but you start to, to localize on that thought. Sam, please tell me that has happened to you before. Yeah, uh, I would probably say, you know, at least once a day. Yeah, 100%. Give Just saying, saying stupid things and brain tools. That's what we do. Absolutely. <laughs> but I think what happened, I was so concerned with this. I had a little bit of social anxiety afterwards, to be honest with you. And I had to, I, you know, the classic, ask my friend. I was like, hey, what did you feel during that? Literally point blank, he said, mate, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> ooh, ooh. And, and I was like, oh. Okay, so I've spent the past three days literally in my own head thinking about this thing and how I've ruined our catch-up. And you're like, I don't remember. I thought we had a good catch-up, man. Like, great to see you. What, what have you been yeah, up to the past wow. couple of days? <laughs> and the, the reason this is brought up, because I, I looked at it after, I was like, there's got to be something about this that is a thing. And it's known as the spotlight effect, mm. which it describes how people tend to believe that others are paying way more attention to them than they actually are. And it's this tendency to become quite egocentric, not in a necessarily a bad way, but we inflate our own significance and we misjudge and miscategorize situations, particularly in a social dynamic. So true and so salient too when you think about how many people are probably doing the same thing, but via text or via Slack or via WhatsApp digitally these days as well. The ability we have to overinflate things because we see things from our lens and our perspective, perception, 
perception, I should say, only. How does the the spotlight effect work? And like, what, what are some examples of it in practice? Yeah. So as mentioned before, it is this egocentric bias. And what that basically means is that we tend, as you said rightly, to rely really heavily on our own perspectives. And what Hmm. leads to happening is we ignore other viewpoints. So the example here is that there was one possibility that I was looking at in that situation, which was this person hated what I just said. But there were probably another's. A, probably wasn't, maybe wasn't listening. B, was literally like, oh, that was funny. That was cool. C, D, E, but there was a one possibility that was chosen out of heaps and that's known as an anchoring bias in reality, which is that our initial judgment of the situation covers all our subsequent thoughts, both positive and negative. And I think the clear example here is we have a tendency to notice changes in our own behavior and appearance more than other people. Like some examples are your own bad hair day, that you think your hair looks terrible. People are like, oh, it looks the same to me, <laughs> like a bad haircut, getting a pimple yeah. or a blemish, um, giving 100%. the same presentation maybe on multiple days, right, where you think one was really good and one was really bad, but you look at the student responses and they're like, oh, it was all fantastic. And I think those are some examples of it, but it's through that that lens that you speak about, which is just revolving around you. It is. And it's also to do with our negativity bias, right? We, 100%. We're, we're so, we have a tendency to look for the negative because it's a survival mechanism, but often the other person's perspective is focused on their negative and what's going on in, in their world. The pimples and the bad hair day is um, hilarious, and I can totally relate to that. But I'm really, really curious, how would you, knowing this, how would you actually implement something to help with the situation? Yeah, and it's a, it's a good point you raise, mate, more so because- like this is known as, you know, Lollapalooza, Charlie Munger, when like one or mm. more biases are at play, it becomes synergistic, it becomes even harder to overcome. And yep. so like all biases, there's not necessarily a thing that you can do all the time, but it's making sure that you're able to stop the downward spiral. And remember this salient point. Most people are far too preoccupied with their own thoughts. People spend 99% of their time in their head about themselves and about themselves in relation to other people. They don't have the mental, emotional, or intellectual bandwidth to think about you for that long, (laughs) generally generally speaking. So I know this sounds a bit harsh, but it's like you're not that important. And it's that realization that if you take that really seriously for what it is, most people are looking and thinking about their own problems. So the question that might help zoom back out when this starts to happen is asking yourself, how would you react if the roles were reversed, right? If if the, my friend said that thing, what would actually happen? And when I did that to myself, I was like, I would have forgotten it at the moment because I remember I probably was like more enthralled with the conversation piece that we were having afterwards and maybe the food that came. There was so many other mm. data points that happened thereafter that that's one small needle in a really large haystack. You're just not going to find it. And that's how mm. I'd go about it. Yeah, that is a, a really good way to use it and framing it around a question. So basically understanding that this spotlight effect exists and it's our tendency to put a much heightened importance on how we interpret a situation because we only see things through our own percep- perspective, our own perception. And as a result, we we then project that onto the situation and the other person's perspective, even though that may not be the case at all because the reality is they're probably thinking the same way we are. And so your kind of workaround for that or a way to get around this is to ask yourself, how would you react if the roles were reversed? Or what I also do is a similar thing is if I'm thinking about how much of an error I made with this one little slip up in conversation, what is the other person thinking about? Probably the same thing from their perspective. So I just take that that question, I'm reframing it my way, but I really like the, the way you've done that. 
100%. And Sam, that is, again, one thing that we've learned this week. Now, if anyone out there has their own little brain bite that they've got, feel free mm. to email Sam and myself, sam at braintools.com.au or kieran at braintools.com.au or alternatively, go on Insta, send us a DM, let us know. We'd love to hear what you're discovering this week because there's Please. obviously so many joys to do so. And uh, we'll see you next week. See you next week.